I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah! Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it! It's the best thing going today. What is up, everybody? Do not adjust your radio dials. This is Top Rope Nation, and this is your WWE Crown Jewel post-show. As you can tell by the voice, this is Kyle Ross, one of your normal co-hosts. But, as should be obvious by now, Ryan Drosty, who normally sits in the host chair, is not here. Justin Joint, the other normal co-host, is also not here. But fear not, I have found a tag team partner for this podcast. So, on that note, it's a little after 4 p.m. here in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, That means it's just after 3 in the Central Time Zone. And Ryan and Justin's shoot jobs preclude them from being here. I believe it's about 8th period right now for Mr. Drosty. Not sure how that works anymore. But you know where it's 9 p.m. right now, ladies and gentlemen? That would be across the pond in jolly old England. And so, with that in mind, I'm going to paraphrase Triple H, surprise, surprise, just a little bit. When you're going to do a podcast, you look to your blood, you look to your buddies, you look to the click. (laughs) He's an award-winning author, and more importantly, my good friend and yours, you heard him chuckling right there, joining me on Top Rope Nation, Mr. Liam O'Rourke. Liam, how the hell are you doing? Man, I am doing fantastic. I, I the opportunity to do a podcast with you, reviewing a show, is always something I'm gonna I'm gonna bite at uh, and and sink my teeth into like a hungry dog. Even to the point where I was going to brave the first full WWE pay per view that I have watched in two years. Yeah, how about that? And you know, yeah. this this is kind of a historic moment for you and I. This so is. we've no we've known each other for 15 years. My God, where does the time go? Oh, yeah. And I've appeared on your podcast, Squared Circle Gazette. People should check that out. We've broken down uh, 1990 and 91 WWF. You have been here on Top Rope Nation to break down a variety of subjects. But this is actually the first time the two of us have ever reviewed a just-completed WWE pay-per-view together. Uh, that's excluding... If you want to go way back in time, there was a podcast that was on many moons ago. As you know, Liam, you would email the show and we would exchange thoughts that way. Uh, most of them were very negative as it was 2006 <laughs> WWE. <laughs> oh, how times change. <laughs> yeah, but not until today, Liam, have we been able to break things down in this manner. And of course, for this historic occasion, we get WWE Crown Jewel. Allow me to do my Jim Cornette impression now. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, go, that, go ahead, because no, I, it's I was going to say funny. that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say, it's funny. You're going to be the more negative one on this show. I'm always the most negative on these WWE post shows, and I actually think this might have been the best WWE pay-per-view of the year, but go ahead. No, I was going to say that 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 deep exhale I did several times during this show, and we're going to get to it. And I, it's, this is not necessarily a thing where I'm going to look to skewer WWE. There are a lot of big picture issues with WWE, as I'm sure we're going to get to throughout the course of the podcast. 
Um, and they just, they pop up. When you, when you step away from looking at something so consistently, and, and WWE lost me about three, four years ago in terms of consistently watching, um, after doing so for years and years and years and years and years, when you kind of delve back into it, I can only really ever dip my toe into WWE stuff because there's just enough things that just, you know, make me feel uncomfortable and make me start kind of like, you know, disliking things in my own life that I thought were fine before. Like, I'll just start looking around my house thinking, God, you know, I could do with an extra room or, man, maybe my, my surface too short, you know. Just like little things make me uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable when I see WWE's uh, offerings and just see the little things or hear the little things uh, that drive me nuts. But, like you said, by the standards of what I was expecting, this show was probably a little bit better, but those trappings... Those, uh, th- those tropes of WWE, they were, they were too hard for me to ignore. So this is going to be an interesting one. Cause like you say, you are seen as Mr. Negativity sometimes, uh, when it comes to the WWE stuff. And uh, I think I might actually trump you this time. That's pretty crazy. You know, what do you think about what I said earlier? I mean, you talk about putting your toe in the water here and there with WWE in the modern age. From what you've seen, do you think this was the best WWE pay-per-view of the year? I would be I would be unfair saying otherwise because I haven't seen the entirety of the other shows. Like I said, I can only like the WrestleManias. Like I will watch in chunks because I can't I can't sit through it all in one go. It just annoys me too much. So I'll watch it in chunks. And when you do that, you break it up. You kind of lose the flow of the show and the feel for what the actual event is like. So I fi- and this is the first one. Like I said, from start to finish, no interruptions, no turn off because I just couldn't stand it anymore. This was the first one I watched all the way through. So I feel like it's unfair for me to make a comparison. Okay. But in terms of what I've seen this year, there really hasn't been too much that I thought was all that special. I mean, people thought Money in the Bank was really good. And I didn't really hold it in that high regard. So, you know, maybe that would be the one that some people might challenge it on. But, yeah, I mean, a case could be made. I think you may make me that case today. Yeah, I, I thought this was definitely better than Money to Make. I was much lower on that than most people. And it's a low bar. I have not given exactly the finest grades uh, to this year's pay-per-view offerings for WWE. Um, was this the best pay-per-view of all time? No, far from it. But uh, by 2021 WWE standards, uh, it was better than I thought it would be going in. And of course, Liam, nothing brings the Americans and the British together quite like Saudi blood money. So it is only apropos <laughs> that you and I would be doing this podcast together. Throughout time, that has been the case over and over again. <laughs> um, Ryan Drosty will kill me if I don't get to this. So before we start breaking this thing down, got to get this stuff out of the way. Plugs. We are, of course, proud here at Top Rope Nation to be part of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. You can listen to Top Rope Nation on all major podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Subscribe and rate us on Apple. If you leave us a written review, please include your Twitter or Instagram username so that we can get a hold of you. We'll send you a free sticker in the mail. That's always fun. And we will read your review on the show. Even funner. Or more fun, I should say, as I botch the English language. Uh, you could join our Facebook group and take part in the community. Uh, just look up Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion. Again, that is Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Top Rope Nation. But, of course, the best way to support this podcast is by becoming a patron, which gives you access to countless bonus shows, including the one we just did with you, Liam, covering WWF One Night Only. That's right. That's right. And a lot of fun that was. It really was. Uh, people should check that out. Every month we do a Top Rope Nation classic where we review 
um, some event from years past, not necessarily always WWF, uh, usually is. Those are always a lot of fun. Most of our patrons uh, consider those to be among our very best shows ever. We got tremendous feedback on the one we did on one night only. People need to sign up uh, again. Uh, do that over at Patreon. Um, the pre-show. Let's jump into this. Liam. There was yeah. a pre-show, as there always is, and the pre-show match in this instance was the Usos over the Hurt Business. Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, for those keeping score at home. Uh, Jay got the win for his team with a splash off the top rope. This was a stone-cold average match by 2021 standards. I think you would agree there, Liam. It was two heel teams not on the same roster today or tomorrow, for that matter, when the recent draft goes into effect. Hang on, hang on, hang on, Kyle. Yes. Kyle, I could have sworn there was an advert on this show that said Survivor Series would be the only time of the year that Raw and SmackDown folks could compete for dominance. Did I <laughs> see did. that wrong? No, you saw that right. And they uh, did, it, and on the same fucking show in the pre-show. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, they do that, and not to mention the last couple weeks of WWE television. Oh, well, that's that's handy to know. Yeah, why they have the draft so close to Survivor Series is such a misread, but we've talked about that before on this podcast, Justin, Ryan, and I, and it's just, it's not worth beating that dead horse anymore. Uh, the titles were not on the line in this match, Liam, because they're on different brands. There was really no working with any uniqueness from either side uh, to make the match stand out. At one point, they went picture in picture during a near fall. There was a lot of <laughs> ill, ill-timed camera cuts during this show, I thought, and uh, Liam, how many people on this roster have, quote, been in WWE for a decade and, quote, never looked better, end quote? Uh, those are Michael Cole's <laughs> words. I bring this up because having so many people around for a decade is bad. Yeah, I'd say so. And I think that this show will actually be quite a good litmus test for how many people have been around forever. Yeah. So, I mean, did you have anything uh, well, I mean, incredible yeah, I to mean, say about this? I mean, to be honest, this is one of those matches where, again, diving back in, it's like, why book this match? Like, I didn't understand that this was like a, it's a pointless match with two teams that are kind of heels, the Usos are the crowd favorites. Um, I, I, I didn't really see that this show kind of made the Hurt Business look like chumps. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I thought that the kind of mid-match was fairly dull. Jimmy Uso, during the closing stretch, had a few pretty shaky moments where you know, he botched an O'Connor roll, and then there's just a bit of sloppiness all over the place. Shelton whiffed on a super kick pretty bad, uh, which got sold. Um, very much felt like a house show match. I think that's probably the best way to kind of sum it up. Yep, and that's what a lot of these pre-show matches are, I think, other than Uso's, ironically enough, against New Day a few years ago. No one remembers any of them. So the show proper begins. Edge and Seth Rollins, Hell in a Cell. And I have a feeling this is going to be a rather lengthy discussion on this match as we take the listeners uh, some directions we don't that they're probably not anticipating. Uh, first off, before the match, we got the same video package that had just aired on the pre-show. Yeah, I always loved that. And that was kind of lit throughout the show. Like, if you watch the pre-show, you were really kind of tired of this by the end of the show where every, you know, every, every kind of package that they'd shown – it aired again. You got it twice. So look at you. Yeah, I mean, but so close. Like, I had literally just watched it. I'm like, they're not going to show this whole damn thing again. Yeah, Oh, wait, yeah. That's right. Exactly. I think it actually either close. It was the last one that played on the pre-show. So, yeah. So there have been two changes to Hell in a Cell during its near quarter century existence. The cage has gotten bigger and it has gotten red. Uh, I don't think either of those are exactly an upgrade. No disagreement from you on that? No, no, not at all. 
Okay, let's talk about the build for the match before we get into it. Okay. How much of this build have you been paying attention to, Liam? You said you only put your toe in the water every yeah, so I've... often, but I'm sure you're cognizant of it here. Yeah, I'm aware of everything, and I'll I'll check things out when I if, if anything seems uh, stand out or, or notable, and then basically because I want to kind of just keep tabs on what everybody's doing, how how they are. So I, yeah, I've been following the build up, and I know what's going on. Okay. But for those who may not know or have forgotten, I don't know how you could have forgotten seeing the same video package twice. Uh, just want to remind you, Edge won a match at SummerSlam, which was good. Not great. Uh, I actually liked the SmackDown match in MSG a smidge better. Uh, after that match, they did an injury angle um, where Rollins pretended to be remorseful for his actions. Absolutely no one bought that, so I don't even yeah. know why they bothered with it. Then came this horrendous home invasion angle. Yeah, absolutely dreadful. Uh, I, when I watched this on YouTube, the amount of people that were talking about how hilarious Seth Rollins was was very disheartening. Yeah. Have you ever liked one of these home invasion angles they've done? There's been several through the years. Uh, Austin and Pillman, I guess, is probably going to be the one that people remember as being the most interesting and novel. But even then, it kind of comes off a little bit goofy in some ways. Uh, that's probably the gold standard, if there is one. And it's because it was the first one, and it seemed different. The first, uh, with two performers much better at it, too, Pillman and Austin, rather than uh, Randy and Triple H, uh, you know, Cena and Edge, uh, you know, Rollins and Edge. Yeah. And plus, you just had completely insane things. Uh, you know, I'm not telling you anything. You don't know, like Brian pulling out the gun <laughs> on live television <laughs> and saying, when Austin 316 meets Pillman's Glock 9, I mean, you know, you know <laughs> it got them in a lot of trouble, them being WWE, but uh, it was novel at the time. Uh, not so novel now when they do these home invasion angles. Uh, who is the worst promo, in your opinion? Seth Rollins or 2002-2004 Triple H? Uh, yeah, that's a hard one. I was kind of uh, mulling this over. I'm inclined to say Seth because Seth I'm just not interested in and will we'll just not watch. Whereas Triple H, uh, you know, we know Nick Khan said it, WWE's biggest enemy is sleep. And, and Triple H contributed to a lot of, of, of sleepy moments in those promos, but at least I kind of wanted to see Triple H lose. I don't care if Seth loses. There's, there's, a, there's a lack of gravitas, and, and some of this is the environment and the situation and the circumstances, which will bleed into the discussion of this match. But Triple H, at least he's that thing, like, yeah, well, you know, it's boring, he's dull, but I'm hoping that somebody's going to fucking end this. Ah, uh, you know, I... I, I I don't want to say there's a recency bias that that, uh, that, uh, that kind of works in reverse here that makes me vote Seth on this. If I was had to relive them both, I, I would probably choose Triple H, only because there were better people to, to go against him in the promos at the time. Yeah. Uh, Edge, of course, is now uh, some great thespian because he was in a crappy movie with Kelsey Grammer. That's been well established. <laughs> uh, so the story is that these guys are so much alike. And that's interesting. I'm very glad that you're on this program to review this show because we could talk about this at a time where it makes sense to talk about it. Edge and Seth Rollins are two guys that you and I don't like as much as most wrestling fans do. Certainly not as much as most WWE fans do. Would you hmm. like to get into that? Why? I mean, you don't need to speak for me. I know my reasons, but I think they're pretty similar if you'd like to expand on that. Yeah, there's something, I mean, just to look at him individually, there's something about Edge that has never clicked with me. I thought, you know, he was you know, good heel in 2006 I know that he's good. I see that he's good. I know he checks the boxes for being the definition of a good wrestler, but there's just something intangible about him that just never did it for me. It never 
goes over the top for me in any sense. Uh, and Seth is the same. In his case, it's a lot easier because I think he's a terrible promo and a terrible character. Um, athletically, I can acknowledge he's very good, but everything that both of them ever does that's, that's kind of at that high level, it feels by the numbers. It feels like uh, there's not a lot of surprise or deviation that, that you, that you don't expect. It's like a, it's like a very well executed version of a good WWE match that ticks the box and is by the numbers. But to me, and again, for the people who just watched WWE, I'm sure they're, they're screaming blasphemy at this, at their, at the uh, podcast right now. But to me, that exists within a vacuum. And I feel like at this stage, and maybe this has been, and this has been the case for a while, Edge's comeback and, and Seth for the last few years, I can only care about what they're doing as much as I care about the guy they're doing it with. They themselves are not the interesting person to me. They are just kind of the, you know, who they're working with and what could happen would be the thing that's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I can go along with this. And when you've got two guys that have that same dynamic, it makes for a wave of apathy. And Kyle, I know you talked about it on, on, on Top Rope Nation in weeks past. We had a conversation when this feud started where I outright said, I can't wait for the promo where Seth, <laughs> where Edge calls Seth Edge Light and Seth in response says that he's the greatest of all time when no one will believe it. And a month later, the exact promo happened to almost to the letter. And then here we are now in this Hell in a Cell match where they're, you know, uh, you know, and, and I'll, you know, maybe I'll let you take it from here. But I know that you kind of feel the same way in terms of Seth. Just that the home invasion angle is one of those things that, and you know, the, the, the fake, you know, uh, regret and mourning that Seth Rollins, you know, may have, you know, ended Edge's career and permanently disabled him. Which, like you said, correctly, nobody buys. I, that's the kind of thing I really don't like about this company because that's the kind of thing that they do where they think, oh, this will get great heat because he'll just be seen as a dishonest bastard or it'll just be like he's just such a prick. And to be honest, nobody believes it. They think that this layers Seth's character. It doesn't. It exposes Seth's character for what it is, which is completely shallow, one-dimensional, caricature, you know, n- nothing happening it could be done by anybody in a stupid suit and and, and, a, and a goofy cackle. And that's pretty much kind of where it stands. Now, obviously, this match, Hell in a Cell, we were kind of, I was actually kind of dreading this going in because I knew two things. One, it was going to go a long time. And number two, the style of match they do, while it has the potential to be pretty good, I don't think, uh, yeah, when you when you're in going in, you kind of have an expectation of what the bar is going to be on something, and you know it's going to be long to get to, to, to meet expectations. That kind of makes for a, a slightly less enjoyable experience. But again, not to be defined by expectations, this one, this one was good. Yes. <laughs> I love that little aside. After we shit on the two guys, oh, well, this was good. But it, was know, good. it wasn't this... great. It wasn't yeah, great. That, it wasn't awesome, that... but it was good. Well, I, I'm going to actually go higher than you. I'm going to shock you. So, um, I, I want to go into you and I's kind of overall view of these two before we talk about the match. Cause like you said, people are going to be screaming bloody murder at their computer or their phone when they're listening to this and we're not as high on it as some people. But you kind of hit the nail on the head in that my view about Edge and Seth Rollins is both of them do a good job at executing the style of wrestling WWE wants. And that at career wise, okay, look, these guys have families. They're trying to put money, you know, it suits them well. And my they're doing what their employer wants. Yeah. However, me personally, I don't particularly like the modern WWE style. So that yeah. is why I am a little bit lower on these two than most people. Now, 
That being said, this was the best match of the trilogy. I'd be, go four stars on it. I didn't think it was yep. quite as good as Batista Triple H from Vengeance 05, say, because that was a good feud, and I cared about that going in, which was different <laughs> than this, uh, where I did it. This you, you talk about taking a long time to get there, and they did take a long time to get there, but they eventually did suck you in. Uh, Michael Cole, during the course of this match, kept putting over Seth Rollins' experience edge in Hell in a Cell, which is true. He's worked more Hell in a Cell matches than Edge. But what's funny is the only Rollins Hell in a Cell I can remember is the shit show against The Fiend. Can you name <laughs> one other Seth Rollins Hell in a Cell match? Uh, was he in? There was one when Brock came back. But, and I can't remember who was in it. I don't actually, maybe it wasn't even Seth that was in it. I remember Seth and Ziggler taking a bump through. Did Seth and Ambrose? Seth and Ambrose had one, didn't they? I don't know, but you're right. Seth did take this really silly bump. They were battling at the top of the cage, and they both went. It, it was with Ziggler. I'm positive it was with Ziggler. Yeah, I've got a feeling that Seth did have one with Ambrose too, but I could be wrong. But I just remember that, yeah, that, that, that bump particularly with, with uh, Rollins and Ziggler both falling off the side of the cage to do the two different tables. That's fixing the memory, but uh, but that's about it. I, I agree with you. Four is exactly where I had it. Like I said, good match, very good match. Um, I, 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 the comparison to the Vengeance match is interesting because that was a match that kind of, you know, again, the end of a trilogy, but felt like it used the cage more and felt like there was a reason that Hell in a Cell was kind of necessary. Whereas this one really wasn't any justifiable reason for a cage. And they didn't really use the cage that much. I did love uh, you know, Seth with a great bump. I'll give him this. Uh, yes. the, the bump into the cage through the table. Definitely the highlight of the match. Yes, that was great. So he was on the top rope and shoves him off. He bounces off the cage yeah, through the table, which is, was already set up outside. Uh, this was the second straight match where Edge kicked out of a pedigree. Triple H really losing power, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> Are they trying to heal this guy or what? I, I mean, my goodness, I, th- there was a time in this business where you'd be fired the next day if you kicked <laughs> out of a pedigree. Holy Lord have mercy. Uh, yeah. Tables, ladders, chairs, and chains were all used. That's kind of where I started making the comparison of the Vengeance 05 match because mm. they used a lot of stuff. That was, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the first Hell in a Cell where they really just brought, a, they went weapon heavy. Uh, I feel like the Triple H Nash match had quite a few, but yeah, I think that yeah, that, okay. that's definitely the first one where they, they had like a barbed wire chair in the Vengeance match and stuff like that. So yeah, they really did go OTT for that one. Yeah, and it gives you that illusory sense of violence. The the issue is, and this goes up and down the card with WWE matches, they do something and like a minute later, it really didn't matter what they just yes. did to go. Yes, yeah, and, yes, and that, yes. That is, that is a Big complaint I have with WWE-style matches compared to most fans, and I'm very glad to hear you say yes in agreement because I'll take that, uh, that you're on my side. Oh, Kyle, this is one of the things that, that just does not pull me in about WWE, and there's, there are worse examples than this on this show where there are ma- – the, the WWE-style – they don't. There are no mid-match stories in WWE, and I don't accept the you know commentators lay low while the guys talk and narrate to each other in the ring as as telling a story. That's that's force and it's horseshit. There was a, a point. <laughs> there was a point in this match where they teased the idea of the chair leg going in Edge's eye, and I thought, oh, that, that, that could be something that goes somewhere. And then they do the spot later on where Edge has Seth in the crossface and Seth stabs him in the eye with, with a thing. So, okay, good. They foreshadowed this. This could go somewhere. Eth, eh, yo, Seth goes up to the top rope, hits a frog splash after stabbing him in the eye. And that's pretty much the end of it. 
Like that's that the whole stabbing in the eye thing meant absolutely nothing. It might as well not even have been done. It might as well have been a rake to the face for, for, for the value that that had. Um, and that's that is part of the problem. And, you know, Edge after the match is kind of squinting and selling his eye, and they kind of reference that on commentary. But it didn't tie into anything. There's no problem with Edge's vision for like at any point after that. It's just it's one of those things where they just do stuff, and it feels like you could swap different parts of the match for different points in the match, and it really doesn't make a difference. And that does hurt my enjoyment, especially when they're going to go 20, 25 minutes. Yes, and by the way, if you heard some wild buzzing noise, do not be alarmed. The National Weather Service has said it's about to rain very hard here in Cleveland. That's all that was, and I had my phone too close <laughs> to the mic. I apologize for that unprofessionalism. Uh, Ryan Drosty will scold me behind the scenes uh, <laughs> at a later date. But, you know, you hit a lot of the, the things on the head. You're right. It's like, oh, this looks so cool. But then, like, it's like, well, it, did, it didn't even matter. Uh, speaking of cool... Rollins hits a sunset flip power bomb off a ladder through a table. But, you know, that's a spot we've been seeing for many years. Goes back to, I think, Edge and, or not Edge, uh, RVD and Eddie Guerrero many years ago. I think Edge mm-hmm. and Guerrero did, did the same thing, too. Uh, Edge gets the win. Uh, he used Rollins' stomp after he used a chair on Rollins' balls uh, and cross-faced <laughs> him with a piece of the chair. Uh, like I said, it's the best match of the trilogy. It's a four-star match. I think there's going to be a lot of people who put this up on the pedestal of a match of the year candidate it probably is one of the best wwe matches of the year i don't think it's an overall match of the year candidate but it is certainly one of the best offerings i've seen from titan sports or the company that we used oh, to refer lovely. to as titan sports <laughs> yeah one thing that we should point out here is that this was in terms of the audience this was a strange one because the crowd was very quick and easy to get into the this is awesome chance even when they were because this match was so slow at points and like i know that they're, they're playing out for the drama but this points where it's like all right fellas just just kind of kick this up a little gear you can shave three minutes off this match by by layout and you can just cut out a few things and but the crowd will just you know even if they're silent there was a point in this match where set did the kill switch which kind of surprised me actually and the crowd didn't react at all for the kick out complete dead silence and then there's a This Is Awesome chant that starts right afterwards. And it's like, and it sounds like it's being done through the whole show. It's like, there's a lot of times when there's chants that start that sound like they're being done by like 150 people that are like around the ring. Um, it's just kind of a bit of a strange dynamic, but I think it's, you know, this was a crowd that wanted to like this show and that helped a lot uh, in certain points. But there was, a, there was a breaking point and Hell in a Cell on first is something that I'm never going to be down with. Yeah, I see why they went on first, because they probably were worried about time later in the show. And they're like, Mm. "Okay, we want to give these guys the proper lot of time. And there's, you know, three or four matches where we can slice five minutes just so these guys can do their thing. Um, You talk about the crowd. I think this was probably the best crowd at one of these Saudi shows in terms of engagement. Is that a fair comment? I don't know how many of them you've seen or even want to recall. (laughs) <laughs> it's on it's probably at the level of the best I, I feel like there are points in this show where the crowd just completely maxed out well again a couple of other quick things before we move on the uh the, this is one of my bug best the big fucking 3d graphics they show in the intros when the guys are walking out that i'm sure that someone somewhere thinks they look cool but i think they look cheap and shit i hate them yeah so, it's, like <laughs> it's one of those ways that people who like the wwe that's what they like it's a dividing yeah. line, whereas you and I, it means nothing to us. We're like, oh, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that that's WWE being WWE, and it's not going away. So it's not. No, like, I know. You know yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to tweet at them and say, <laughs> "Stop with the 3D graphics, damn it!" Because 
that's going to have nothing. So um, Edge was very <laughs> over, I, I should point out, start and finish. He was, although I'll tell you what, those camels that they, that they were, were ringside, they looked scared shitless. I don't know why they were there, by the way. Were they selling them because there were people in attendance? I'm not sure, but it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> that will not be the last time we reference the camels that were by the entrance ramp. Um, so, uh, yeah. So one thing that's funny about this, the feud is now presumably over, but both guys are going to Raw. Yeah, and Seth, as we have kind of discussed off air, we've got a babyface champion, probably in need of heels to work with. Heel loses. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to – I just think it's odd that you, you would put them on the same show. You would think they'd be on different shows. Mm, yeah, I, I would think so. Divide them, get them away from each other, give them a reason for, to, to not fight anymore. Up next, Mansoor against Mustafa Ali. Uh, we obviously knew, Liam, that Mansoor was going over here as the crown prince is an authoritarian that gave Vince $50 million. Uh, let that be a lesson to all you other WWE superstars uh, when you are wrestling in your hometown. <laughs> Proving uh, that they do know how to book a baby face when money's on the line. Yes, uh, I was thinking about uh, you actually a little bit when I was writing that note, because where was the queen when Davy Boy Smith needed her at <laughs> one night only, 97? Yeah, well, you know what? She'd already kind of, you know, made, you know, staked her claim when she backed the warlord at Mania 7. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> oh, man, what an angle that was. But, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna shock you as, as we transition from 1991 back to, uh, 2021. I actually thought this match was kind of good. Yeah, I thought so too. If nothing else, it exposes the foolishness of hometown people always losing. Uh, I do think the match should have ended with the moonsault. From Mansoor. But like, it, it's another one of those things, and I'm going to be objective. It's not just WWE that's guilty of this. AEW does it um, more than I'd like to see, too. In modern wrestling, guys will hit a move, and you're like, this will be a great finish. And the guy kicks out, and they go, like, two minutes too long. Mm-hmm. That's a big complaint I have with modern wrestling. Yep, they miss the peak a lot. And this was something that you used to see. I don't want to kind of... Uh blame any individuals for starting this craze because there's really no one to, to point to but i remember like in, in ring of honor the briscoes sometimes would be very guilty of this where like they would hit such a peak but then they'd miss the peak and they go a little bit too far and a little bit too long the crowd was not as into this match as i actually expected it's because they were following Ooh. hell in a cell i expected them to be pretty you know to be way harder than they were mansoor's facials they've he's got he's got to dial them down a little bit the the, the bug eyes and the goofy face that needs that needs, that needs to go away but yeah this is you know good effort i like ali a lot so so that helps um although you, you mentioned the moonsault the camera was nice enough to cut to a fan rather than show if there was a kick out or what uh during the uh, the moonsault so that was yeah good. so you knew it wasn't gonna be the finish because yeah they were showing some little girl god bless her soul um in the crowd, you know, the match would mean more if Mansoor was treated as anything special other than one to t- two times per year. Mm. Um, you know, you talked about his facials. Look, where's he being trained? <laughs> okay. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and what's interesting, I think he totally aped Triple H's spine buster in this match. Oh, yeah. He, he did it the exact same way Triple H does, and he kind of like reacted the same way. I mean, my goodness. I mean, Paul Levesque. How far you have fallen in this company where we're having Mansoor take your moves. Uh, again, Mansoor wins. Afterwards, Ali got some heat with a post-match attack. Uh, some guy comes out. I thought it was the Yeti at first, quite frankly. I was like, what is this? Uh, the man unmasked. Michael Cole exclaims, do you know who that is? 
No, I don't. Mike. No, we don't. <laughs> it was, uh, but it was Tariq, Tarek Hamdi. I apologize if I'm butchering his name. I probably am. As you can tell, I don't watch the Olympics. This man was a silver medalist in karate. Uh, the live crowd obviously knew him though. They did, but I was terrified because when he first came out, I thought, oh dear God, it's going to be our truth and this is going to be the most distasteful thing in company history. Something bad is going to happen here. And as it turns out, everything, you know, all's well that ends well and we can safely say that whoever booked this has a good head on their shoulders. Yeah, uh, you mentioned liking Ali. I'm with you there. This is a guy who should go to AEW. He's got a great personal sure. backstory. And man, the weight. Maybe it's just him trying to do the character, but man, if you read between the tea leaves or read the tea leaves, I should say, I don't know if you have to read between them. Uh, you see some of these interviews he does on shows like The Bump. He does a really good job of weaving his clear frustrations with his lot in the company into his storylines. And you gotta wonder if he's just kind of counting the days down until he can maybe go to see greener pastures. I, if I was him, I would be. I think that it's kind of, for someone who has the potential appeal and the actual business upside potentially of pushing this guy, a guy who's so well-spoken, who's a smart dude, a great athlete, I you, know, you can't tell me that the time that was used pushing Dominic Mysterio would have been better spent on a Mustafa Ali. Oh, could not agree more. There. You know what I mean? Yeah. We should mention uh, Ali donated his entire purse to charity. I don't know if anyone else did that uh, on today's card, so he deserves a big thumbs up. Uh, at least for me, uh, and I'm sure you as well in that regard. Um, RK Bro versus AJ Styles and Omos was next. A Raw tag team title match. We have seen this uh, before. RK Bro really at this point just seems like a vehicle for Randy Orton to look cool at Riddle's expense. Uh, Riddle not only makes terrible jokes on WWE programming, but he always needs Randy to save him from getting his ass kicked. So he is clearly the lesser of the two uh, tag team champions. And Liam, how about these reports that Vince McMahon had to be talked out of giving a mega singles push to Omas? Is there anybody that was surprised when that when that came out? No, I mean you knew as soon as you saw him. Um, you know, going back to WrestleMania, his first match, Vince. Oh, he started rubbing those hands together. Pow! Look at the size. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't know. What do you think? What do I think about him as a potential single? I think it would be a disaster to do now. <laughs> is he down the road when he learns some stuff in attraction? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, he's really big. But here's the issue about Vince getting talked out of doing that. And I may know a little thing or two here, Mr. O'Rourke. The floor is yours. Okay. I had a conversation with someone a couple months ago about Omas. And this is somebody who had, you know, kind of had a, some skin in the game so to speak. And this person told me with Omas, you got to keep in mind, this guy's like seven foot, what six or, I mean, he's gigantic. He's huge. He's huge. And he didn't even get a sniff on an NBA roster. What does that say about his athleticism? Yeah. I feel that way when I see him in the ring, he, he looks uncoordinated. I think his facials, he just looks goofy. <laughs> like when he's standing on the apron, like you know, watching what's going on, he just looks like a fan. Like he just, yeah. I, He's, he's very, he does not seem that coordinated. Yeah, it looks like he wants to just start laughing in the middle of the match. Yeah, always. Every, yeah, all, so that, like, you know, if you follow the NBA, maybe these names will mean something to you. Like a guy like Taco Fall, who is not a particularly great basketball player uh, by any means, but is a similar height to Omas, 
he gets the bench, at least, on these teams. I mean, for somebody to be this big and have played major college basketball and not even sniff an NBA roster, it says something about where he is as an athlete. I do think, you know, and it's tough without the live events and and whatnot to mold him and get him more ring time. Uh, I know AJ's working hard. It makes a lot of sense why they put these two together. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, I think that's a good move by WWE. Not going to fault them at all there. Um, I just think, you know, the idea of pushing him in a singles role right now is a disaster. Uh, so it's, I'm glad he classic, was talked out of it. Well, this is the thing. Isn't this classic Vince? That it's not, you know, something will get booked for a reason because, OK, we need to disguise this guy. So let's put him there with AJ, who's kind of been around and kind of could use a fresh coat of paint himself. And by using AJ with him, we can kind of just book him to look great. And Vince has been guilty of this several times in the past where it's almost like he marks out for the disguising of the weaknesses and just th- just sees it at face value and thinks that guy's great like that we can take this guy and we can do more with him and it's like no vince the reason you think that is because people around you have basically kind of created this scenario where we're making him look as good as possible without exposing the weaknesses and i you know again it's not like he's got a flawless record there's some stuff that he does that looks pretty damn goofy like at one point in this match like i think randy orton like kind of dropped him over the top rope and his stomach hits the top rope and he starts holding his neck. You know, it's just like, it just (laughs) just looks completely absurd. Um, We should actually mention, by the way, just to deviate from Omos, the entrance, which we skipped past. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, the animated snake. That's another great touch from the company. I love that. Um, But a camel (laughs) makes an appearance. Yes, uh, the the camel was a running theme here. Uh, Riddle teased not coming out. Uh, and then he comes out on a camel, a la Bobby Heenan at WrestleMania 9. Matt Riddle, in terms of humor, is no Bobby Heenan. I think we can all nah, agree nah. on that. Uh, he didn't like, even ride it backwards, Kyle. No, he didn't. But, you know, there was a lot of people I saw hemming and hawing on Twitter and whatnot. And it was amusing. It was something to do. At least you're using the scenery, for lack of a better term, around you. Uh, Michael Cole, uh, trying to be funny for the first time in his life, exclaimed, Riddle is riding high. Oh, Michael Cole doing a little bit of work there. Hey, oh, <laughs> good, good stuff, Michael. I will say that the camel, notorious for being kind of a slow walker, still beat Randy Orton to the ring. Yes. <laughs> um, speaking of slow, Omas, uh, look, look, we've said it. He may not be good, but at least he comes across as unique. In, Agreed. You know, in a company where too many people work the same style. Of course, he is not a giant. He is AJ Styles' personal colossus. Mm. Uh, that is WWE verbiage. Wasn't that one of the proposed names for Paul White when he first came to the company? Colossus? Yeah, or maybe, no, maybe I'm misthink- remembering Tit- that. Titan, I remember Titan was a name that they were pitching pretty hard. Oh, that's right. Got Colossus, who was, Col- I feel like Colossus is something that they've wanted to use before. Am I thinking of the, um, Col- am I thinking of the Colossal Jostle between Andre the Giant and <laughs> Kong Bundy? Possibly, or perhaps the Colossus of Boggo Road, Nathan Jones. Gosh, forgot that from my mind. I don't think that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> the dark days of 2003. Um, let's get to the finish of this match. Uh, Styles went for the phenomenal forearm. You could totally tell Orton was going to reverse it into an RKO, so it was not really out of nowhere in this instance. And uh, sure enough, RKO tags Ritalin, floating bro for the win. Champs retain. Uh, probably the right decision for all parties involved. Cartoonish Becky heel, uh, Becky heel, Becky Lynch heel promo, uh, 
was next. And then we got a video informing us that Charlotte would be on SmackDown tomorrow. Uh, so there was that. I got uh, Charlotte referred to as the queen, but uh, she was not in the Queen's Crown Tournament. Uh, we got the final up next. Zelina Vega against fucking two drop. <laughs> Look, man, I know you got to be careful on these podcasts because people come after you with pitchforks. But Liam, this fucking dewdrop is Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard getting their jollies off at redoing Bertha Faye 25 years later. Is it not? This time as a baby face. Of course it is. They love silly. And, and, and this is kind of right up their alley. Unfortunately, I think it's got a short shelf life. And the fact that she didn't win this doesn't bode well. Yeah. So... Let's talk about the Queen's Crown Tournament. Um, on a recent edition of Top Rope Nation, we uh, talked about WWE and its problems booking tournaments in the past. This one, a brief tournament, to say the least. Uh, the first two rounds featured less than 15 minutes of actual wrestling and really exposed how many jobbers there are in this women's division. Uh, the final got 550 here today. Uh, so the whole tourney was basically 20 minutes of ring time. And it was Zelina <laughs> Vega, as you alluded to, Liam, getting what I would call a surprise win with a code red. Yeah, so me and you were talking while the show was going on, and we were both saying, this is going to be a minute. This surely is just going to be a dish. I thought Dewdrop's winning this because it's one of those things. It's like, why do you even put, you know, when they're standing there, the optic, this looked ridiculous. Like she's, you know, Dewdrop's huge, height-wise and, and, and other, and... Zelina is so small. She's got to be like, she's, she's like sub five feet. She's tiny. Yes. And so when they like, it's like when they're standing there, it's like, okay, this has got to be a destruction, surely. And then they start having like an actual match where Dewdrop's selling for her and stuff. It's like, okay, well then I guess Zelina's winning because you can't do this match with the story being Dewdrop overcoming the odds. That's just absurd. And not only that, but Zelina wins clean. <laughs> so take that. Yeah, I, I was kind of just shocked how that fit with not just Zelina winning, but how she won. Um, you know, I would be more into her as the queen of the ring had they not had her lose 13 consecutive matches at one point. That stat comes from Sean Ross Sapp. Credit where credit is due. Um, I, I got to wonder this. This is the uh, sort of devious part of me thinking, Mr. O'Rourke. Is Zelina's run and Mia Culpa for her getting 86th off the September 11th SmackDown in New York City? It is quite interesting how differently they've booked her since. Let's put it that way. Uh, yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, you kind of when you when you're kind of around and you and you see things long enough, you usually pick up on the signs. You're pretty good with that yourself, Kyle. You're very good at that. You're exceptional at that, and I think that's uh, pretty much the nail on the head. It feels to me. It's kind of a yeah, we probably should have done that and. That's kind of a missed opportunity. So let's give you this perceived opportunity, a tournament that was no uh, Super Jacob Night 4. Let's put it that way. In fact, to quote a joke that you made once, Kyle, I'm going to use it on you here. They should have probably held this in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> yes, I was going to say you talk about the Super Jacob. Uh, you know, this made the 1998 Intercontinental Tournament on Raw look like the Super Jacob. Oh, God. The Queen's crowd. I mean, this was a real dog, man. But Zelina Vega is the queen of the ring we will see where she goes from there i guess it guarantees her a push and i don't know what you do with dewdrop and quite frankly i don't give a damn well it didn't sound like the people do either i mean she came out and like there's like oh. no reaction for it the crowd is dead during the match and it's just yeah 
yeah, I, I really feel like her goose is cooked, and that's it's you know I feel a little bit of sympathy because I don't even think that it's anything that we, she's done wrong. It's just that, that you know this character is just death. Um, I will as an aside. I don't want to harp on this too much, but you know one of my other bugbears with WWE. The commentary is obviously much maligned. That's, that goes without saying. But the one thing that I hate that they do all the time, and Michael Cole is the chief offender here, is when on commentary he will like quote something that somebody said in a promo. <laughs> like it's fucking, like, like it's Shakespeare. Like it's this stuff that like is just such great writing that like it needs to be quoted verbatim. Zelina Vega said, quote, I will win this opportunity. And it's like fucking hell. Like what does that add anything at all? <laughs> Nothing, and he does it all the time. Like he did it later on in the King of the Ring in the men's match, and that's pretty much exactly what he said about Finn Balor. Finn Balor said, "Quote: I'm, It's about winning one match after the other." Well, fucking thank you, Finn, and thank you, Michael, for bringing this to my attention. I, I can't stand that. He used to do it all the time with like WWE.com interviews. Remember when they were trying to yeah. like get people to go to WWE.com? God, I do hate that. I'm it's glad so you brought awful. that up. It is so annoying. Cause like every time he does it, I'm just like, Michael Cole, you tool. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it doesn't make him sound like a good journalist. It's just like the worst. Um, Bill Goldberg, Bobby Lashley was next. Uh, this was made a no holds barred. Falls Count Anywhere match on the pre-show. Bobby Lashley has quite an impressive entrance video. I know you bemoan some of the 3D um, you know, holograms that they show. I thought, like, you know how they kind of cut to a video and just show them, like, kicking people's asses? Yeah, that, that one works. That, that one does work. And he is not the same without MVP, though. That needs to be said. You look at Bobby Lashley since he came back to this company in 2017, the time he spent with MVP, which is basically a year versus everything else. Man, MVP deserves a tip of the cap and a pat on the rear for how he helped get Lashley over during that title run. Yeah, and and it's it, it, there was just and this is always the case with Lashley. I think ever since he came back, I mean, especially when they turned him heel, it's like there has always been, even from when he first came in, that thing of. Bobby Lashley, you know that they want to use him a certain way, but he has a weakness, and that weakness is being, you know, an intimidating promo guy and and having that extra little bit of something in his presence. And that's where a guy like MVP really kind of shined, being the window dressing to kind of, again, accentuate Lashley looking awesome in a suit with the glasses and coming off like he has a larger-than-life charisma. When he just kind of walks down the aisle in his gear, he just looks like another guy, and that's it does take away from him. And I feel... You know, there's there's several points in the show as they have now become one to do where they pipe booze in for certain people, and it's very flagrantly obvious. And they did it for Lashley here, and yeah, you know, I, I hope you know that he's he's not going to just become one of the the guys in the cycle. But this certainly indicates that he probably will. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, charisma vacuum was the terminology to describe Bobby Lashley that was said to me once by someone in the industry. This was several years ago, to be fair, pre-hurt business, but I think that's what he's made. He just, he's a really big, impressive looking dude, but there is some, and I think it's just simply the word is charisma uh, without MVP. Um, Now, all that being aside, the camels seem to like uh, Lashley's video. They reacted to him when he came out. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if they did that on purpose, but it was a cool visual where all three camels turned their heads to look at him. (laughs) 
<laughs> they could not have paid those camels to do that, I don't think. Is, at the time. Is this I, gonna, I was impressed. <laughs> is this going to become the new Kevin Nash turning heads in the airport metric for who's a superstar? Yes, yes. <laughs> Who turns camels. camels' heads in Saudi Arabia? Yes. Uh, Goldberg got chance. You talked about the piped-in booze um, for Lashley. Uh, the crowd seemed to be into Bill here. I, do you think that was piped in? No, no, they, they certainly, oh. you know, I, th- I think that now they've kind of, they've got the cue, they know when the music hits, it's part of the sing-along, and that's fine. i got to say, though, some of those security guards look like they hadn't eaten for a week. Well, let's not get into that. I don't want to well, be... Yeah, yeah. No wonder if it'll <laughs> stall the camel so easily, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be offed before this podcast is over, so I'm not going to uh, take that anywhere uh, by your boy MBS. Um, just kidding, he's no one's boy. Anyway, uh, Lashley started this match. By using a chain. That is something that used to be a finish in wrestling. Uh, remember mm. Randy Anderson versus Nick Patrick from Monday Nitro? I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Although, yes. I will say, Goldberg was actually in great physical condition, but man, he's limping. He's got a problem with the, his knee is not looking good. Yeah, so here's the thing. I can't tell. It goes for this match and the one at SummerSlam. If he is selling... Or he's just struggling to move. I think he's struggling to move. You know, when you see him do spear, the, the spears and the stuff that requires like running and, and, and movement on his feet, he's taking little stir steps. And that's not Goldberg's way. Goldberg is a, you know, he's the football player. He, he takes these big long strides and, and, you know, just pretty much just levels guys, but he's taking these little stir steps. He's been very ginger on that knee. So I feel yeah, there's, there's a real injury there. Yeah. Early on, uh, a point that we've known for a long time was uh, <laughs> reiterated. People are really quiet when Goldberg has to sell. Over the last yeah. 20 years, people just don't like that, man. They just, like, I don't know what it is. Like, it's crazy that it's still the case, but it has always been the case. When it's time to get a little, when it's time for the heel to go on offense, people are just deathly quiet. Uh, Goldberg was moving slow, but eventually he gets the advantage. Uh, hit the spear and jackhammer. I texted you, oh, my God, if this is it, I am going to be in tears. But it was not it. Uh, he throws Lashley to the outside. Did Roman Reigns spear spot through the barricade? Uh, was Did he pay off Roman to take that spot from him? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But I, think, I, I think that somebody might have sabotaged it because uh, the camera caught Lashley just kind of wobbling it over like it was a house of cards right before he turned around and got speared. So it didn't look too, too gray on camera, I don't think. Yeah, uh, we go out to the entrance ramp. Uh, Benjamin and Alexander show up. You mentioned Liam, that wasn't a great night for them. Uh, Bill quickly disposed of them, uh, despite that. <laughs> Very quickly. Six. Yeah. Like, and we so never saw them again. No, it's so funny that, you know, months ago, people bemoaned the breakup of the Hurt Business. And the way they did it was so bad because it was basically just telling your audience, Benjamin and Alexander are just jobbers, not worthy of being part of a top group. They didn't really do anything wrong. No. <laughs> Per se. And they've associated them back with Lashley, and all they do now is things wrong, to reiterate what they told the audience. So <laughs> it's just not good in that regard. Uh, at least they're getting TV time, though, so God bless them. Maybe they're happy there. Bill, quickly dispose them, like I said. Don't make fun of me, Liam. But when it was Lashley and Goldberg staring at each other, each holding a kendo stick, I was kind of into that. I thought it was a cool visual. I'm not going to make fun of me for it. There are pieces of this finishing sequence that I thought were very well done. Um, and that was one of them. The, the, the visual of 
you know, the guys coming out with the sticks in the three on one was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And I was expecting like the, 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 the explosive disposal of these guys. And it wasn't quite that. It was like one kick, a backdrop. And then they basically just disappeared into the ether. You never saw them. I don't even know. They might still be there for all I know. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, like you say, they pick up the kendo sticks one-on-one, and that's, again, I think Goldberg's a little slow on the draw, but he was, you know, it, it, the, the optics of it looked good. And I think this was, if this was done a little bit quicker, a little bit more explosively, I think this would have come off a lot better, and especially the finish, which was almost really good. <laughs> yes, it was. So, Bill speared Lashley off the ramp, and it was onto a pretty blatant crash pad. I know, but you you immediately messaged me something that made me laugh. <laughs> that Shotzi should uh, should yeah would be the type of person to tweet about somebody falling on a bed after this, apart from the fact that there's no way she's watching. Yes, <laughs> yes, Shotzi Blackheart obviously uh, made fun of Chris Jericho. For those of you who have forgotten, after the blood and guts match in AW, when he blatantly fell on a crash pad off the top, it it's the when he did when I realized that spot was coming, I said, oh. oh. Here we go. I mean, you mm. figure it'd be it gimmicked uh, some way. Uh, crowd was into it, though, this match. And Bill Goldberg wins. Bobby Lashley, let's come back to this point now, is 0-5 since losing the title. This was a guy they did a tremendous job building up over the course of 2021 as this unbeatable monster. He has now lost five straight matches. William. Yeah, it's not looking good for Bobby. I, I, I don't know what you're going to do with him. Um, I'm sure they can rehab him somewhat by beating some mid-card jobbers or what have you. That'll, that's probably what they'll do. Goldberg, do we think we're going to get him and Big E at the Rumble in a title match? Big E has expressed a desire for that match in the past. I believe it was the origin of big, meaty men slapping meat or whatever the hell that phrase is. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, if that's the end goal, then I get you know, this logic here. But it should be pointed out that, like... Okay, so bigger picture, just kind of stepping back just for a second on 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 this this match. The returning legend babyface coming back for revenge against the current top heel for a personal grudge feels a lot less effective when it happens twice in the same night. You know, we've had this, you know, Edge and Rollins at the start. Yes, we yes. have this here, and the old boys go two and zero. Oh. Yes, that's a good point, and that reiterates a lot that's said about WWE, right? That. All the big stars are from the past. Now, I, you know, two guys that I'm not going to shed too many tears for are Seth Rollins and Bobby Lashley. Well, again, Seth has been, uh, oh, you know, this was in the notes and I forgot to mention it. And I'm glad you actually brought this up because it's going to allow me to say it. I loved at one point during the Hell in a Cell match, Michael Cole uh, was questioning Seth Rollins' Hall of Fame candidacy, yeah, despite the that fact that Seth was a multi is a multi-time world champion and been like a top guy for seven years. What does it say for like, you know, that <laughs> that well, you know, maybe he's all of famer. I know he's been on top for seven years and he's been a champion multiple <laughs> times, one at WrestleMania. But so, you know, those guys are maybe a little <laughs> those guys are kind of bulletproof. But yeah, I see what you're saying, you know, again. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I don't want to bum. It's not like that I consider either of them the future or anything like that. It's just funny, like you say, that like Seth Rollins, here's the narrative of the match as Michael Cole spins it in between reading Twitter quotes and, and, and former Raw uh, scripts. Talking about how Seth Rollins is uh, his Hall of Fame candidacy, a win over Edge tonight cements him, and then he loses. What a geek. That's true, yeah, that's right. He questioned it, and then he loses. So, um, Look, Biggie and Goldberg, I, I don't know. Look, they're trying to fill up that big dome 
in St. Louis for the Rumble. So you know they're going to bring Bill back, right? I mean, they're not going to have Bill win his final match. Um, so, yeah, I think that could be a direction, especially when you look at the dearth of contenders uh, for Big E on Raw right now. I, I can see that happening. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, if it does. King of the Ring, Finn Balor against Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods wins with an elbow off the top. Uh, I'm going to say something right now that will get people angry. Maybe not you, but definitely our listeners and people on Twitter. I was not nearly as into this as some were. Uh, I guess the people get what they want. Xavier Woods, king of the ring, his childhood dream. Liam. Yeah. So yeah. I, as soon as he went ahead. to the finals, as soon as he went to the finals, like, well, there's no point doing this unless he's going to win. So I, I know that you kind of alluded to the fact that you expected Balor to win. I kind of felt differently because I don't you know if Balor's going to win. I mean, you could have had Xavier. You could have had him turn heel on Xavier, I suppose, um, en route to winning or Woods wins, Balor turns, who knows? But I, yeah, this is, this is very much a situation of Finn's completely treading water. And yeah, like you say, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not on Twitter. I don't know what the immediate feedback was. Anybody who says this match was really good, I, I, nothing against the guys, but this crowd couldn't have given a fuck less. Yes, there was a notable downtick in crowd heat for the next three matches, I thought. I thought the crowd felt a little exhausted. We should point out Crown Jewel went four hours. Four hours, not three. And it felt the crowd was a little tired for this one. Look, we criticize WWE quite often for not giving people what they want. And it was very clear that a segment of Twitter really wanted Xavier Woods to win King of the Ring. It was very clear he wanted to win. It was a stated goal. I mean, he really got this over on Twitter, this idea that he Mm -hmm. really wanted this. and It would be a big thing for him. I don't know what his ceiling is going to be as a single Quite frankly, I, I really don't, which is, and I'll get to Finn Balor in a minute, which it's why I thought Finn might win. But something else I thought, um, you know, I, I kind of tried to read the tea leaves with Zelina Vega. Big E is now your champion on Raw. Xavier Woods wins King of the Ring. WWE in the last several weeks, months, I believe is going out of its way to make New Day happy, which is smart because I heard some intel that, you know, they were kind of like getting wishy-washy and a little irked with their lot in the promotion. So I, I think WWE realizes, hey, these are guys we need to keep happy. And so if if, if that's the case, then kudos to them because yeah, they, they, this, cannot, they cannot lose the New Day. The timing was interesting, wasn't it, Kyle? I thought the same thing when I started to win, when Biggie won the belt in the manner that he did which it will come to because I'm, I'm not happy with it. And the way that, you know, and Woods on this track, giving him something that he's really, really wanted for a long time. The timing was very coincidental. As you said, the tea leaves are always there if you know to look for them. Yes. And I, I had told you that before mm-hmm. that um, I had told Ryan and Justin uh, it, when we were in Chicago together, having some drinks, I was like, you know, I'm hearing rumblings that New Day isn't that happy. And since that time, Big E is now a world champion and Xavier Woods is king of the ring. Uh, so you teased this, and it was in the notes that I sent you. This was actually in the pre-show notes that I yes. sent you before the match happened. That I said I expected Balor to win and turn heel here. Because what else really can you do with him at this point? His credibility as the demon is shot based on that farce at Extreme Rules. <laughs> and he's moving over to a brand where the world champion, Big E, is a babyface that needs challengers. I guess Balor can still turn heel, and he certainly was a very good heel on NXT 
during his run, right? And I thought that was his best work. Uh, <sighs> Did you really? Yes. Oh, wow. Let's get a little disagreement on this podcast. Yes. I, I rarely disagree with you, Carl. I did not like him as a heel at all. Wow. I thought, and again, and maybe it's not all his fault because the way that it was executed, although the bicycle kick was tremendous when he actually turned heel. Um, I just thought the follow up promos and again, the way that it just kind of just vanished into the ether. I didn't like it at all. I, I really wasn't a big fan. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, this may evolve into something that ends up being pretty good, but it wasn't there for me yet. And granted, maybe it's not fair to judge such early days stuff, but I didn't, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the, guys, it, it was, you know, these kind of like insidery references at times. Yes, and it's just yes, like, I don't like correct. that. No, you're right. The initial promos were terrible. Like, yeah, I didn't like people, that at all. You know, you know, the last time people saw me, I was losing to what's the next big thing in the business. But now I'm the thing in the business. You know, like all that was terrible. Those initial yeah, get out of here with that. Yeah, but I thought his ring work, you know, specifically the matches with Kyle O'Reilly were quite good. Yeah, they were better. They, don't get me wrong. And I prefer in the ring, I prefer him as a heel than as a baby face for sure. But therein lies the problem. Is Vincent Mann going to book Little Finn Balor as a heel against Big E as a babyface in a title feud? Like, I, I don't see it. I don't see that being along Vince's line of thinking. I Then again, like, then again, we had Zelina Vega and Dewdrop say, what the fuck do I know? No, I was, I was about to thank you for setting me straight, because you're right. I can't see that either. I, I really can't. Um, so, Xavier Woods is king of the ring. Big E is the champ. Big E defends against Drew McIntyre in this show. Corey yes. Graves on commentary laments that there may not be a top singles champ on Raw if Drew wins. <laughs> to me, that pretty much telegraphs the result that we all knew was coming anyway. And sure enough, I, there are people who really like this match on Twitter. I thought it lacked heat, and I was not all that interested because the result was a formality. There were some good near falls at the end. It got hot, picked up a bit, and Big E wins with the big ending. But we're going to really get into this with the women's triple threat. The way that they are kind of just like forgetting about a draft that just happened is like really sad in the, in these weeks between when the draft happens and the new rosters go into effect because you've got people challenging for titles and you know they're not going to win. There's not going to be two singles champions on SmackDown and none on Raw. That's dumb. Anyone who thinks that is dumb. A seven-year-old child knows that's not going to happen. And if they wanted to make the argument, oh, well, if Drew would win and he would then stay on Raw, and that, that wasn't the storyline they were telling at all, but let's say they were trying to say that, oh, if Drew wins, then that reversed. Well, then what the fuck was the point of doing a draft? <laughs> so I, I don't understand that at all. I thought it hurt the heat in the match. I don't know what you're going to do with Drew McIntyre. Now, considering his ceiling on SmackDown was just going to be a guy that puts Roman over in what I thought was the middle of the Lesnar feud, but we're going to get to this a little bit. I don't know what they're doing with the Roman-Lesnar feud mm. moving forward. Yeah, right? I mean, what do you do? Is he going like, to be kiss, kissing his sword or something? And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> welcome to the cycle, Drew. You'll be here a while, my friend. Uh, I, I, I wonder if Biggie felt like he was looking to the future a little bit for what, his title, for, for what he's going to be like after he loses the belt. This is... This is a problem, man. This is this is a big problem in the company. We we saw it with Lashley. We were just talking about it. Drew now. All the hard work they do telling you that this guy's the, the top guy. He loses, and he's just where he was before. It doesn't matter. It, it messes with the sense of hierarchy that the company has, which makes it harder to make stars because 
there is no real sense of elevation. If I mean, how many times in this show did they say this guy is a blank time world champion? It felt like I heard that like 15 times on this show. You know, between you know, you know, six-time women's champ Sasha Banks, six-time women's champ Becky Lynch, eleven, you know, thirteen-time champ Randy Orton, eleven-time champ this guy, Seth Rollins, eight-time, you know, Brock Lesnar, eight-time champ versus Roman, the five-time champ. It's like, God, they, they, everybody feels like they've gone around the cycle so much that when anybody they try to like break them through, and Biggie's a great example. Biggie, we're looking at it live right now. There were people in this crowd that were chanting for McIntyre over him. And I should say, when it comes to the lack of crowd heat, this is the second straight babyface match in a row, back to back, which didn't did not help the heat in the woods match. And it didn't help the heat here either, because when you've got a split audience, you have a dynamic with with the the babyfaces where sometimes, yeah, the the babyfaces are over enough where people will just be rabid for both of them because they love what they're seeing. You take it away from that type of environment, you've got a match where no one, you know, the, the crowd doesn't want either guy to lose either. And so the heat is 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 going to be less there's there's less intensity in the audience because they don't really know what they want either they're just kind of watching something play out before them but yeah it's it's very annoying to me that Dewey kills their star making devices to where the point where like with Big E you know I mean and and I haven't had a chance to talk about it but I hated the way they put the belt on Big E like just doing the money in the bank cashing was the wrong way in my opinion to get the belt on Big E because it puts him to me in that category of the guy of the month that they're pushing now. And as soon as he loses, he's going to be where McIntyre is. And that's, that's a problem is that people don't buy guys getting to the top of the mountain as actually meaning that much because it really doesn't. And and the fact that you can just look around the company and listen to the commentary tells you it's really not that important who's on top right now, because it's all going to change and everybody's going to get it a million times. I'm very glad you brought that up because Biggie getting the title when he did, do you think they did that because they needed Goldberg to beat Lashley, but not for the title? Um, possibly. I think that if, I, I think that, yeah, I think the fact that he cashed in that way leads you to think that. That story, I mean, the way that they set that story up, I wouldn't be surprised if they knew that that was going to happen. I almost feel in a way that this match is, was rushed to even get back to this point. Like it was just such a complete deviation from Lashley losing the belt. Um, it is possible that they rushed it onto Biggie because they felt they had to do this. This this does feel like the logical end of the story. Goldberg avenges his son. You kind of have to do this if you go yes, this you direction. Did. You have to you had to have Goldberg win. Um, and Biggie, you know, being the champion, obviously is what they kind of had designs on, I guess. But again, like I feel like with Biggie, the journey, you know, the chase was what people wanted. You know, to draw a comparison to AEW, Hangman, people wanting Hangman to get the belt, and when's he going to get the chance? When's he going to get the chance? When's he going to believe in himself? And you, you're on the journey, you're on the ride, and that's the star-making period. The star-making period isn't just giving the guy the belt out of nowhere. It's cool, I guess, for the live crowd, and it comes off good, and they, they hold the belt. But I don't, you know, the sustained... So to me, if, if Big E had said, I'm going to challenge for the title at the Royal Rumble against whoever the champion is in a dome... And you spent months with Lashley, you know, again, reforms the Hurt business maybe because he wants to get rid of Big E before the Royal Rumble because he knows he's going to have to defend against him. Goldberg can, you can do Goldberg and Lashley as a grudge match at Mania. There's no urgency. But again, because they rushed it, you're in this situation where it feels like Big E's kind of, he's doing okay. He's doing well. People like him for the most, I mean, people love the guy for the most part, but it's like you put him in a situation like this. And like I say, there were more McIntyre chance than, than, than Big E in this one. Yeah, well, there were 50 million reasons why they did Goldberg <laughs> against Lashley. Uh, Lashley on this show instead of waiting for Mania. So, oh, completely. 
yeah, we'll see where they go long term there. Man, I'll tell you, you look at these rosters moving forward. There is just not a lot of world title options, it, uh, you know, on either show. Uh, right. Speaking of world titles. All right. I'm about ready to make myself crazy here. OK, Do it. You, <laughs> you had some great rants there in a little bit. And I'm about ready to go on my biggest rant on the show. Smackdown women's title match. Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks. So the build for this match totally and completely exposed the idiocy of having a brand split in this company. You have two of the women, Becky, who is the SmackDown champion, and Bianca, already announced as moving over to Raw via the draft. Sasha Banks, on the other hand, who's in this match, staying on SmackDown, where the Raw Women's Champion Charlotte will be coming over. Yet, follow me here, folks. They continue to have these title matches on TV where the challenger clearly wasn't going to win because of who was going where. On SmackDown last week, Sasha is not going to beat Becky because Becky needs to take that title to Raw. And Sasha is staying on SmackDown where Charlotte is going to be the champion. Same on Raw Monday night. Bianca, who's coming to Raw from SmackDown, if you're keeping score at home, she is not going to win Charlotte's title because Charlotte needs to take that title to SmackDown. Here in this match, Sasha's not going to win because she's on SmackDown where Charlotte, again, is going to be the champion, and Raw needs either Becky or Bianca to be its champion. And people say factions in AEW are confusing. The concept of having friends is what factions are, (laughs) by the way. This would be so much better if we were in a world where all four women, the three who wrestled tonight and Charlotte, were competing for one title. Think about it on this show. Four corners, fatal four-way, whatever you call it, WWE, elimination match between those four. Think about that. You wouldn't know who's going to win. There'd be some real intrigue. Four top women, and you wouldn't have to worry about these stupid rules and this stupid brand split, which just exposes who's going to win and who's going to lose. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's, that's dead on the money. The draft, another concept that should be simple, could be interesting, meaningless and messy because the brand split sucks. Um, why do, uh, what would you even do a draft for one month's time? It make like you said before, it makes everything lame duck. This feels completely lame duck. I, I you know, multiple women's champions I don't like. Women's tag team champions I like even less, frankly. Um, it's not about you know taking opportunities away from the women. It's just that I think that the the roster isn't geared for it. The shows aren't built in such a way where I think that it allows it to happen. And like you say, you know Charlotte, Sasha, Becky, Bianca, that's a pretty good key four. And Granted, three of those subscribe to the Jake Roberts rule of being around for longer than six years. <laughs> and and you really should, I, the way I do look at this, why in the fuck is this not all about Bianca? Um, but having yeah. said that, this is what they're doing right now. I think everybody's going to say the Becky Lynch turn is ill-advised. I don't think I'm breaking any new ground there. Um, but I agree completely that the, the fact this match happened and is such a confusing mess for what's happening, what's going where a complete indictment of, of where this company is right now and how they just seem to just, it doesn't really matter where the tiles land when they throw the Scrabble board up in the air because they'll just pretend it makes words anyway. Yeah. And I mean, we're just going to obviously trade champions. And, you know, I saw some people saying, Oh, you know, I hope they don't like trade belts. Like they had new day and street profits do. I mean, what are they else are they going to do? Yeah, they're going to folks. They're going to, I'm telling yeah. you, there's no, there's no drama here. 
Uh, so for the match itself, I would have liked to see, this is, I don't know if I've listened to too much Jim Cornette here uh, or, or whatnot, but uh, Bianca, I wish she would have come out a little with a little more intense demeanor rather than her normal demeanor, given the stakes and what she's been through. Um, maybe it was the diatribe that I just went through moments ago or me having to let the dogs out to poop at the start of this match. Uh, <laughs> my, my two dogs, by the way. Zuki, one of the original Top Rope Nation uh, fans, blind. Now, it's it's very sad to see my Aww. my dog. Well, yeah, he's blind. But, uh, you know, I, I was checked out here, um, you know, and I, I saw a ton of praise for this match on Twitter, but I just thought it was a trademark WWE triple threat. <sighs> yeah. Um Big time Bex is awful. The name. They're not the person. The, the name. Hearing Michael Cole repeat that and, and just, it's awful. It's terrible to have to hear that all the time. Bianca looked pretty good in the early yes. going. Match did not look quite so good when she wasn't in there, which I thought was quite key to note. Um, and I agree with you. The match just was just not holding my attention in the slightest. The crowd was quiet. Yet occasionally you'd hear that this is awesome chant from the 100 loud people in, a, in what felt like at this point a pretty tired and quiet stadium. They, I, I, I can understand why some people on Twitter are going to say they like this match because they clearly had a lot of ideas. They had stuff planned. They went through some things that were kind of novel and, and in isolation are kind of cool. But again, as we said earlier on, there is absolutely no story being told throughout this match. It's just one thing after another, a bunch of stuff, all of it meaningless, never really any drama that the match is going to end at any point because nobody's really buying anything that's happening. There was big stuff going on at the end and you could have, there was nothing, nothing from the crowd. They didn't really care. And some people, if, if people love this match and they want to give it four stars, you know, absolutely fair play. Enjoy rewatching this back for me. You know, fucking Tully Blanchard and Shane Douglas called and said, wrap this one up. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, you're the direct the hate mail to Liam O'Rourke at LiamO'Rourke.com. I, <laughs> I hope that's not a real email address, by the way. Uh, no, it's, you're okay. good. You're good. Okay, good. Uh, so Becky wins by grabbing the ropes and pinning Sasha as Michael Cole exclaimed, triple threat rules. That's like Wonderful. my head. That's another one of my least favorite Michael Coleisms. When he just like when something happens and he just starts yelling triple threat rules uh, <laughs> to cover how there's no disqualification. So yeah, maybe he's just a big Shane Douglas fan. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, there you go. Way to bring it back. So yes. So Becky and Bianca are going to take their title feud to Raw now, presuming, and Bianca will chase. I'm with you. I think this Becky Lynch heel thing just it doesn't she. I said it when she cut the promo earlier. It just it's cartoon heelish. It it's feels really, it doesn't feel it feels like someone's playing heel, as they say in the business. It's, it's that's exactly what it is. It feels like Seth and Becky in their house watched some douchebag character who dresses gaudy. Maybe just still McGregor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but she's had the Connor thing going for a while. But like both of them, it's like they they just want to do this thing. And again, it's like it's actually really shallow. And like when you watch when you look at that promo that she cut earlier in the show, that wasn't a promo that you're like, wow, nobody could have cut that promo. That's one of the things I feel about Seth all the time too. When Seth does a promo and he's talking and he's cackling, I never look and think, you know what? God, like the way that you would think of like a Foley promo, it's like no one but Foley could have done that the way Foley did it. I, and granted, maybe I'm unfair comparing to one of the greatest talkers in the history of the business, but Seth Rollins gets so much mic time that I feel like that's, you know what, if you're going to be in that position 
And Becky's the same now. If she, you know, the, the talk was that she wanted to do this, the heel turn. This was her idea. Well, then you got to bring more to the table than just the cookie cutter 101 heel obnoxious bullshit because this, you had something good going. And if they insisted on doing this, I don't know why they didn't just bring her back as a baby face, ride the wave and see if, it, since they were pushing Bianca anyway, she was the champ. They had a headline mania. Why not just kind of see if that's the way the wind blows and then you can do the matchup mania? Yeah, well, Sasha didn't get the shot. And that was the problem. So. Well, yeah. And there you go. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm not talking about the title shot, folks. No, no, no she didn't. No. There's a um, different shot she decided not to get. Yeah, before we move on, one more comparison uh, between uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Seth and, and Becky. It was a criticism we had in Hell in a Cell. This match was guilty of it, too. Doing things that, yes, are cool ideas, but those cool ideas don't matter a minute later. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But like, you know, it's just, you know, people just trading moves. So, yeah, I, I, I did not like this. This was the third match in a row that I'm sorry. I'm just not as high as Twitter.com was. Sorry. No, and, and, and that doesn't make you wrong. In fact, most of the time, I'd say that's probably a good barometer that you're right. But, uh, I, I, you know, this, the other thing too, and I feel like this is, this is not something that I'm trying to uh, be misogynistic on. But when matches like this happen. Be careful. I'm being careful. Believe me, I'm editing my words carefully in my head. But when I feel like this is something that happens in women's multi-person matches more than men's, perhaps, because they have so much stuff laid out, it feels like so much of it feels like they're walking through aspects of the match. But, well, you know, like they and things just look a little less crisp and a little less a little bit more sloppy because of it like you know clotheslines are going to get ducked and spun through just kind of feel like they're going through a routine as opposed to like a lot of intensity being thrown in the moment and again that kind of is that doesn't help that aspect of feeling like nothing really matters because everything is just like this then this duck under go under it just feels meaningless and that's that's the big criticism of this match for me not a lack of effort they worked hard they worked really hard um they did a lot of stuff they had a lot of ideas and I don't think it landed. I don't think it landed with the audience, and it didn't land with me. You're not wrong, what you just said, for the record. So, um, Look, the last three matches on the show that we talked about, uh, the King of the Ring finals, the Big E McIntyre, and the Triple they're not bad matches. I just don't think they're great matches. No, you know, no, 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 no. Like, it's, you know, they're, they're you know, like in that three-star range, I think is, is fair, maybe, to even say. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm being even higher than you would. I don't know with that. But uh, we do have one more match to talk about. Mr. O'Rourke, and it is the biggest match of the year. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. I concur that this probably is the biggest WWE match of the year now. The fact it was taking place at 4 p.m. Eastern or 3.30 Eastern on a Thursday, uh, you know, not really indicative of what you think when you think big biggest match of the year, but mm -hmm. those are the breaks. Uh, I said on the SummerSlam review that this would be more intriguing than Roman Cena due to the Heyman factor. I, I was not into those Roman Cena promos. I, I, no, they were terrible. Yeah, like the shooting the terrible. shooters and stuff. <laughs> it was real bad. But this, the promo work has been very good with, you know, Paul Heyman, where does he lie? Right? Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a good storyline that people get to. It makes sense. People understand the history Paul Heyman has with Brock Lesnar. It's not like there was some breakup before Lesnar left TV. Lesnar just happened to leave the promotion for a while. Heyman hooked up with Reigns. Lesnar came back. That's intriguing. However, here's where I throw a little rain on the old parade. How can one 
watch this feud unfold. And not, and I've never seen anyone bring this up and it shocks me. And not think about how it took WWE almost seven years to get the dynamic right between these two. Yeah. These guys first headlined a WrestleMania in 2015. And I want to know if we're going to look back in a few years at 2016 to 2019 WWE as the biggest waste of time in the history of this promotion. That whole delayed crowning Roman as a baby face thing, it never worked. Other top baby faces got killed as a result because they didn't want to put them over because they wanted to make Roman the guy, and a lot of people suffered during that. And for all the criticism that the online fans, quote-unquote, get, from WWE stars and the company itself in interviews. I saw this Carmella, uh, you know, going off the other day. I've rolled my eyes at some of her oh, God. words. I missed, I missed this. So, I you, missed you, this. You, you didn't miss anything. Okay, oh, trust good. me. It was bad. But anyway, as much as they want to criticize these online fans, the fans who said Roman should be a heel this whole time were dead right. And the yes. company fought them for four years on it. And then they did it at the oddest time, too, when there were no fans live in the building. I know. It was not perfect. Yes. And the fans were right. And this dynamic is right, but it's like, you know, they're kind of not even... Michael Cole did bring up their history, but it was very much in passing. Like, it didn't matter. And that's sad that these guys Mm -hmm. made about it in WrestleMania. And, like, I'm going to throw this to you now. Would this company be so much better off had Paul Heyman simply turned on Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 31 and gone with the heel Roman Reigns? And they just did the heel turn there. Absolutely. Absolutely they would be. Uh, What you say about the time wasted to get to the point that everybody at the time knew they should have gone anyway. This wasn't this wasn't a secret. It wasn't even a secret really to them. Brock had already kind of half gone babyface. He was already dipping his toe in, in the water of people liking him. Um, and, and people were turning on reins. People, you, people knew that it was coming. Um, it was not a secret. People cheered when Seth Rollins won that match rather than Roman Reigns. So this, this was something that everybody could see coming. They didn't want it to happen. This was happening. This is, for, again, this is, Outside, looking outside the parameters of WWE, I always thought it was funny because this happened shortly after Tetsuya Naito in New Japan. They had pushed him as a babyface when he made his comeback in the G1, and people did not like it. And so he basically changed his character, adopted a fuck you attitude to everybody, the promotion included, and he ends up being an enormous babyface because that's what happens eventually. If you're going to be great as a heel, you're eventually going to get cheered as a babyface because people are going to love you. It's already happening with Roman. After mm-hmm. years, after years of being booed incessantly, they're already. Everybody at the time was saying, "If you turn Roman now, in two years you'll have what you want," because it was obvious. Everybody could see it, and and, and he's a talented guy, so he would have gotten over. The act would have gotten over, and then when the time comes for Heyman to go with the next guy, then Roman can. And again, like I said, Brock ended up being. You know, he, people wanted to cheer him as a babyface anyway. They dilly-dallied around with him and did 
they wasted him with a, with a, a, a short-term feud with the Wyatts that didn't pan out, the shit with Ambrose that meant nothing, all to get back to the point of him being a heel anyway, which now has gone full circle and he's a babyface. Roman's the heel, and it's one of those things, like you say, Kyle, when I look at this, it's like I can appreciate the fact that this story is the story that should be told. I can appreciate the fact that Roman is fantastic. I can appreciate the fact that Brock Lesnar is excellent in his role. And I also know that any praise that I give this storyline is in the absolute vacuum of the fact that this should have happened years ago. And I don't want to say it feels irrelevant now because that's that wouldn't be fair either. But it just it's a direction they should have gone long ago. And now we're at the point where this is the big thing they're pushing. This is the big thing in the company. And you kind of look at this and you're like, this is the biggest thing that they've got now. And it kind of just feels, I would say too little too late, but look how much the fan base has eroded in the last five years. Yeah, a, a lot. And, you know, I'm going to make a comparison here. I'm writing up this Survivor Series history for the Facebook uh, page uh, on Top Rope Nation. Again, people should join. I did it for SummerSlam. People really seem to like it, so I'm going to do it for Survivor Series. Survivor Series 2001, a main event that I'm sure you remember, Okay. Mm-hmm. Meltzer gives it four and a half stars. You, it's a good, it's a very good match. You look at the stars involved. And if you watch in a vacuum, you're like, oh, this was great. But wrestling shouldn't be consumed in a vacuum necessarily. If you watch that match with any perspective, whether it's now or back then, how do you not feel depressed about that match in the sense that that was the end to what was supposed to be the biggest storyline in company history, the invasion? And it was just basically WWE guys pinning each other? At the end? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I kind of feel that when I want. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm watching this. It feels great, but I cannot get out of my head, as good as the promo work has been in this feud, how we should be long past this. This is something that should have taken place years ago in the WWE, and the company has no one but to blame but themselves. The fans were ready for this five years ago. The only asterisk I'll put by our thought process here. Do you think Roman Reigns would have been able to pull off this character six years ago? Like, if Heyman had turned with him at WrestleMania 31, could Roman Reigns in, of 2015 be the Roman Reigns of 2021? Uh, I don't know that he would have been the Roman Reigns of 2021, but I do think that because he would have had Heyman with him, that whatever version of Roman, the 2015 version, it wouldn't have been the same thing because he wouldn't have, you know... Part of the reason this works is because he's done everything he's done. They've pushed him to death, blah, 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 blah. But it still would have had the a kind of sense of entitlement type of a thing going. They'd already, they, they ended up doing stuff with him and the Usos around that time anyway, or shortly after in 2016. So I, I feel like, yeah, we probably, even if it wouldn't been exactly the same, even if it would have been as polished, it may have been slightly different. And dare I say, maybe a little bit hotter from a heel perspective, because he would have been able to really ramp up the fuck you to the fans. Uh, and that sounds ridiculous because, yeah, okay, he's been booed for six years and now he's saying acknowledge me and all this. But it's like, again, it's like, this feels like it's so late. It feels like, okay, people booed you out the fucking building after you beat The Undertaker at Mania 33. He should have, that was, he was such a heel. He could have done it then. There were so many times he could have done it. They did it when there were no fans around. And, Again, as polished as, as this act is, it's going to become a babyface thing, inevitably. Yes. Which is um, what we all thought, but again, they're behind the eight ball. If you wanted Roman Reigns, it goes back to it. If you wanted him to be this babyface and face of the company or whatever, this you should have done this character years ago. Because he is. it's funny, he was booked like an idiot 
who always failed in the big spots when mm-hmm. he was a, a baby face. Now he's a heel. He says, acknowledge me. He says, I'm going to kick your ass. He kicks the guy's ass. Oh, by the way, he pinned Brock Lesnar tonight. And um, <laughs> we'll get to that. Trust me. And he just moves on. He's yep. like the biggest badass ever. He's way more liked now as a heel than he was as a babyface. And that speaks to how the company books babyfaces. And how, yeah, exactly. They are booking him as more of a babyface now, stacking two babyfaces on top of each other at WrestleMania and pinning them both. Wow. What a dick. He's great. The guy's fucking great. The whole, this is one of the things that, again, Debbie has lost and it's beaten a dead horse. But people want that, you know, when they pick a sub, it's football whether it's hockey, whether it's whatever sport you want, they want their team to win. And when their team just gets beaten repeatedly, they start losing faith. And ticket sales go down when this happens. And things don't, you know, the enthusiasm is not there. And it shouldn't be a surprise when that happens in wrestling. Here we've got a heel Roman Reigns beating everybody. The show's built around him. His segments are usually pretty good. Although, like I say, the, the Cena stuff and even the Finn Balor stuff before that, I thought was real ropey. Um, but... You know, this this is working. This is a good dynamic. But the flip side is, Kyle, like you say, because this is happening so late in the game, what else do they have? Because they've destroyed everything else in the process. And what else do you have for, for, for Roman Reigns? A Drew McIntyre who's been beaten? A uh, Clearly, we're, we're going back to Brock probably at Mania. Well, are we? I mean, it's. It, I'm interested in how they're getting back there because, again, let's not bury the lead here. Let's talk about the match. We've talked a lot about the last five years of WWE. Let's talk about October 21st, 2021. That's what people tuned in to hear, Crown Jewel. Roman Reigns pinned Brock Lesnar. Now, it was not clean. The Usos interfered. Um, the finish, I liked. It played into the Heyman dynamic where both guys were out after a ref bump laying on the ground. Heyman slid the belt in perfectly right between them and said, you know what to do with it, but, or something to that effect. And it wasn't clear who he was talking to. Lesnar grabbed the belt, thought it was for him, but, uh, you know, it didn't work out because the Usos interfere and Reigns pin him. I was expecting a non-finish here, especially because they announced the match as no DQ in the pre-show and then rescinded mm-hmm. the stipulation. They're like, actually, no, it's not a DQ. Both guys don't want to do that. Yeah, so I guess Debbie didn't bother reading the contract either. Yeah, I mean, and what's funny is it could have been a no DQ match, and you could have still done this finish. Yeah, and and, and, and the and heat would the heat would have still been there, so to speak, because Lesnar was cheated three on one. Absolutely. Uh, I, the fact that it is no disqualification means that it is an illegal thing to do, and that's going to be the old school way of looking at it. But I agree with you. Okay. It's, it's 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 six of one, half a dozen of another, and I don't think that is actually going to make any kind of real world difference to the way people look at this. Um. I agree, and I think that the reason part of me thinks they're going to go back to this for Mania is deliberately because, really, nothing really advanced. Heyman, the, the ambiguity yeah. of Heyman was kept in place. They fucked Brock over so he can still be on the rampage chasing Roman. He didn't lose clean. The feud's not over, but they didn't. They didn't pop the the. They didn't answer the question with Heyman either. So they pretty much just kind of left you where you were when you came in. Even yeah, though right. they, they gave you a finish, which is why, which is probably why they felt they could give you the finish. Yeah, you're right. It, had Heyman deliberately turned on Lesnar and said, you're right. Then it's like, well, what the hell do you do then? But so mm-hmm. that intrigue is stuff that we should talk about the match a little bit, maybe more than a little bit. Uh, Ray, uh, Lesnar was gigantic. Dude, you could, when he's walking on the aisle, you can see his back from the front. This dude is jacked. 
right yeah. now. Uh, he was all kinds of purple by the end of the match, <laughs> as per <laughs> usual. And, just in, um, just in joint is going to have a field day with a pool of sweat that was left on the mat at one point from uh, from the face of Brock Lesnar. Yeah, uh, the match was not as good as WrestleMania 31 was. Um, no. But it was pretty good. It was better than their other matches in 2018. Certainly better mm-hmm. than WrestleMania travesty mm-hmm. uh, 34. But, um, yeah, Reigns wins after help from the Usos. And, okay, maybe they go back to it for Mania because I don't think The Rock's coming back. He's no, he's a not. busy man. Okay. So if you don't have The Rock, you got to do Le- – what in God's name are you going to do when Lesnar's not around on this show now? Drew? Drew's looking, you know, I guess, but they got to rehab. I mean, I guess, but he just lost to Big E. <laughs> and like, he did. He's lost. I mean, I, I don't know what you're going to do. It's it's going to be really interesting what they do with these. I mean, here's the thing, though. They don't have to do too much because, as you know, Survivor Series is that one time of year when Raw wrestles SmackDown. Oh, and they're going to do one- Big E and Roman. And you yep. just, again, why this is another, these stupid fucking tropes that they have to go through every year. That means that we have to have a world champion lose. And, and, and make one of the two guys that we're supposed to take seriously as a top guy second place. Yeah, and I, I why? Man, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a little scared for Big E. Again, I'll come on this program and admit that I'm wrong if I turn out to be wrong. If he loses to Roman, and he's going to, Roman Reigns is not going to lose to Big E. Roman Reigns is not going to lose to anybody anytime soon. Nope. Uh, and like the wind is kind of out of his sails. Man, I think Vince, if, Vince sees somebody on that Raw roster, he might look to take the title off Biggie. Because usually they usually they do a title change around that time. Yeah. I mean, there's been some odd ones where they have a guy win the title and then lose to, like, remember AJ Styles and Brian Danielson? Uh, then Daniel Bryan. You know yes. him as Daniel Bryan. Um, <laughs> they both won the SmackDown title, like, right before the champion for champion match and kicked off their t- respective runs with a loss. With a loss champion. to Lesnar. In both yeah, cases, yeah. to Lesnar, yeah, yeah. Those matches were good, but, yeah, it's odd, yeah. The the world champion, the Raw champion versus SmackDown champion is always a just terrible, distasteful trope. Um, so, but it's going to happen. I'm assuming they, they kind of teased it a little bit. They actually brought it up uh, on the TV shows, both Raw and SmackDown, so I, that, that's coming. I think it's going to be Big E and Roman headlining Survivor Series, and Biggie ain't be- winning that. And, and I don't know who's going to be the challenger for either. I mean, they're not doing a December pay-per-view. TLC was canceled. They're doing that New Year's pay-per-view mm, um, yeah. in Atlanta. I, I don't know who the hell is the challengers for that. I Yeah, I, I'm, I, again, I, this is one of those things where you just look at the way they book and you fear for Biggie. At least I do. Because, like, I don't – this is not a match that I would make anytime soon. Biggie and Roman, keep them as far apart as possible because they both need galvanizing. Big E, uh, yeah, why would you want to put him in a position where he might get booed? I'm not saying they're going to boo him over Roman or anything like that. I don't anticipate that because I think people genuinely like Big E, and I think they'll play along. But he's going to look second best. He's going to lose. I, I don't like putting top babyfaces in a position where they are failures because we know what happens. We've seen what happens dozens of times. And on just incident number 173 on this show of things that make me just grit my teeth and wish that W didn't do them. Did you catch the interview that uh, Heyman did on the pre-show? No, you know, I wasn't home yet. Yeah, I think so I, th- I think they may have replayed it on the show, but basically he's backstage with, with one of the, the, the guys, and they ask him, you know, which, where do your loyalties lie? And Heyman goes, I'm going to walk to the ring with a WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns, and I'm going to leave with the WWE Universal Champion. And that was it. 
They cut back to the studio. It's like, okay, you see, you see what that, where that's going. They cut back to the studio and they scream at you. Did you catch that? He didn't say Roman Reigns. <laughs> that's WWE in a nutshell because they cannot let you absorb anything without hitting you in the face with a giant animated snake. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, the giant animated snake and hit you in the head. I think that's Crown Jewel for you folks it is getting uh i know a little bit late in the evening the shank of the evening as mean gene <laughs> used to say on nitro for you uh liam and i thank you for joining me hopefully all of you liked this special edition of top rope nation with liam and i uh doing your pay-per-view ro- uh recap we talked a lot about big picture issues i think we're in agreement that yes in a vacuum this was the best uh, WWE pay-per-view of 2021. Again, it was a low bar. Didn't have a lot of competition in that regard. Best pay-per-view of the year may not mean what it used to. But there was nothing, like, horrific on this show. And for WWE, that's a win. Uh, and, hey, uh, we'll see what they do between now and the end of the year when we've got the only time of year, Raw and SmackDown Wrestle, which is such a lie, and then no pay-per-views. I think they're going to be lost in December. On that uh, yeah, well, I, and, and they always tend to suffer around December time when things feel like nothing's going on. There were things on the show that were good, and I don't want this to come off like it's an hour and a half of ranting about how horrible things are. There were matches, like I said, the effort of the the, the, the crew, I thought, were, was really good. I, I did like Roman and Brock. I thought it was a good match. Drew and Big E, I did like, maybe a little bit more than you, actually saying Ooh. that um but seth you know seth and edge again very good match i'd probably give it four maybe three and three quarters who knows um depends on on which side of the bed i roll out of but yeah th- th- this was a show where there were things to enjoy but as somebody who dips in uh it- it's hard to focus strictly on that when all these big picture things that we were talking about today they're just they're there they pervade every aspect of this promotion in their tv and it makes it tough to get into and follow well, good thing for you that uh, you don't have to follow it on a weekly basis. You know, at Top Rope Nation, we've done a pretty good job at not following it either. Our next <laughs> flagship show will be our uh, a preview of Top Rope Nation Classic. You were on the last uh, Top Rope Nation Classic when we did one night only. This month, we're doing something unique. It's not an October-themed show. We are reviewing a Coliseum home video, which is yet to be decided. I believe that poll is coming down to the wire for which uh, show we're gonna, which video uh, we're gonna review. That should be fun. Uh, people can check that. That'll be on your normal podcast feeds. Just a preview on Friday. Patrons uh, can get the whole show uh, even earlier than that. We're gonna do a few green room shows between now and then, reviewing AEW television. Uh, we've got a lot planned. For November, like I said, head on over to that Facebook page. I'm going to be talking about Survivor Series history, uh, the interesting history of this uh, Big Four pay-per-view. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Liam, I, it was a blast for us to finally do one of these together. I had a great time, man. Like I said, it was it was worth the experience of the show. This has been so much fun. Uh, always great to uh, kind of chew the fat about all things modern wrestling, uh, modern WWE, and any any kind of time that we can talk about the great sport of them all. It's always a always a riot. So you're never gonna have any uh, problems getting me on the line. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, someday we'll we'll wrap up 1991 over on your end, <laughs> we, we, Circle Gazette. I, I promise, folks, there be people who message me all the time. When are you gonna do that next show? We'll do it's, it. At it's some coming. Point. It is coming, folks. It is coming. Yeah, um, maybe we could talk, you and I could talk about that off air. Who knows? But um, I think that's it for Liam O'Rourke. I am Kyle Ross, Ryan and Justin. Hope you liked the show. Everybody else, I hope you liked too. Top Rope Nation, WWE Crown Jewels in the books. We'll talk to you later. Peace.